um, Lord's Day 10. And I gladly do so because the Confessions, the Heidelberg Catechism are very dear to us and no doubt it is good to learn what our Catechism teaches. So we will be looking at Lord's Day 10. And so I want to read with you first what our Heidelberg Catechism says in Lord's Day 10 and then we'll go over to scripture reading of Acts chapter 17, the verses 10 through 31. Lord's Day 10. What do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. So far then our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10. And then we'll turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, as we will read from the book of Acts, chapter 17, And we'll read the beginning at verse 10, the book of Acts, beginning at verse 10, chapter 17, up to verse 31. Hear then God's holy word, the book of Acts. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens. And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers 
and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Then certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So far, the reading of God's word. I just want to draw your attention then also to our text words as well. As we find in this passage, we have read Acts chapter 17 and then the verses 25, 26, and 27. 25, 26, and 27. And let's see here, where are we? Nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope 
that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So far, then, the reading of our text words. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul actually saw some strange things during the time of his ministry, especially in Asia Minor. And our text chapter refers to one of those strange occurrences. One day, as he was out strolling in the large city of Athens, a Greek city, he noticed that the people of that city were, so we are told, very religious. They were very religious. How so? Well, wherever he looked, he saw images and idols and altars and temples to every god and goddess under the sun. That is basically what he saw. And no doubt Paul could identify some of those Greek deities as well. Zeus, Athena, Artemis, Hercules, Hermes, Helios, Apollos, and many other gods and goddesses, deities of the Greek society. But obviously, as we have read, there was one altar that drew Paul's special attention. He knew that it was not dedicated to any of the Greek deities. And so, upon closer investigation, reading the sign there, he discovered that this altar was dedicated to the unknown God. And for this, Paul drew the conclusion that those people were very, very religious, literally as superstitious as possible. Now imagine for a moment, dear people, being so religious and yet missing the boat on true religion. Now, this was the case with those people there in Athens with their altar dedicated to the unknown God. Well, Paul took that altar of the unknown God as a right opportunity to preach the gospel to those people of Athens who were so religious, who were so superstitiously religious, and he made known to them the unknown God. It is remarkable, however, that in this gospel message of Paul, some things are said that I too need to speak to you about this afternoon hour. For instance, Paul tells those people that the one whom they call the unknown God is a God, so we read in verse 25, who gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he tells them in verse 26, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And then he tells them moreover as well that this God, verse 27, is not far from each one of us. <clears throat> now, these words, the verses 25, 26, and 27, form then our text for this hour. Why? Why? Because these words, dear people, tell us something about the God whom we worship and the God whom we confess to believe. 
they say something about the God of providence, the God of providence. And our catechism also leads us to speak about this as well, uh, in, and by way of Lord's Day 10. Now, no doubt you will recall from the previous messages, which your pastor no doubt has preached, that the catechism is actually very busy at this particular time to focus our attention upon the worship of the only, one only true God revealed to us in the Bible. He, first of all, is the God whom we know as believers to be the God of the Trinity. Then, no doubt, you heard it the last time that God is to be worshipped as believers can confess to be the God as our Father. This hour, this hour, I must point out to you that God is also to be worshipped as the God of providence, as the God of providence. Now, boys and girls, young people, if you listen very carefully to this message, you will find out what this word providence means. I have as theme and division the following. We worship the God of providence. And there's two headings. In the first place, he leaves nothing to chance. And the second heading is he leads everything to himself. Now, congregation, this hour we must then explore what providence means and what it means to worship the God of providence. Our catechism shows us the way, answer 27 of Lord's Day 10, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Not by chance, so we are told in the Catechism. Therefore, I would like you to notice in the first place that the God whom we confess and worship leaves nothing to chance. Leaves nothing to chance. The Apostle Paul already told the people of Athens that God gives to all people life and breath and all things. Dear people, your beginning, my beginning, man's beginning was therefore not by chance. Not by chance. We did not come into existence by chance, as some scientists try to tell us, that by a million of, of, of one chance we came in existence originally by way of evolutionary process from a microscopic molecule cell to a fish to a land animal, to a monkey, and then finally man. No, we did not come into existence by that chance root of evolution, dear people. It is rubbish, in fact, to say that. It is rubbish what some biologists and what some scientists teach at many high schools and colleges and universities even. Their evolution theories about our origin are nothing but nonsense, nothing but nonsense. And so young people, particularly, don't buy into their theory. We did not come by chance. 
It was not the survival of the fittest that made us people instead of monkeys. God gave us life and breath. He created us living, moving beings. He gave us breath and he controls our breath. God leaves nothing to chance. It was his plan, you see, to create you and me as people. And this is what we have uh, recorded for us in terms of the creation of Adam and Eve. We are told in Genesis 2, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Then we read in Genesis 2, 21 and 22, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and as he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. God created man and woman. There is our origin, very specific. It is planned, regulated, even, yes, even in respect to our gender. Nothing, nothing is left chance. And by the way, I don't believe really what some so-called Christian scientists try to tell you, that Adam may have had a prehistoric mother, or that Adam uh, started off in some lower form of life. People who teach that are trying to bring science and religion together, but it does not work. It doesn't work. Our origin is described perfectly in Genesis chapter 2. God left nothing up to chance. He gave life. He gave breath. And what a shock this must have been to the sensibilities of those people there in Athens at that time. They thought that they owed their origin, that they owed their existence to the whammies and to the zaps of Zeus, from Mount Olympus. That's what they thought. But they were definitely mistaken. And now Paul tells them, no, no, not at all. God, the unknown God to you, he gave you life, he gave you breath. But there's more that we could say about this yet. God leaves nothing to chance. This is also true in respect to when and where you and I were born. Have you ever thought of it, boys and girls, why you weren't born of homeless parents who perhaps could not feed you or take care of you and you were left on the sidewalk somewhere? Have you ever thought that of why you were not born of parents who wanted nothing to do with God, who wanted nothing to do with the church of God? Have you ever thought of it, why your mother was not the kind of so many women in this world, influenced no doubt by the men as well, who opted for abortion? Have you ever thought about that, boys and girls, that you were born in a land of health and of abundance, that you have parents 
who want to serve God, who want to take you to church, who want to read the Bible with you and who want you to read the Bible for yourself, that you have parents who pray for you regularly and pray with you, that you have come into this world by birth and were given and received parents who looked forward to having you, boys and girls. Your mom and dad, they love you. They love you because they look forward to having you. Was all this left up to chance, you ask? No, it was God who is in charge of all of this. Dear people, have you ever thought about it? Why you weren't born in the 16th or in the 17th century when persecution was at a height, particularly where persecution hunted the Christians? Why is it that we presently, how long we do not know, but why is it that we presently live in a time period and in a land of freedom of worship? How long? We do not know. But today we may still gather in this manner. Was all this left up to chance? Far from it. God has been in charge of all of this. He controls where when and where you and I should be born and should be raised. He, God, gave us parents that we have. He, God, gave us the freedom to practice our religion. He has left nothing up to chance. And the proof of this is in Paul's words to the people there in Athens on the Areopagus, the mount where all wisdom was, as it were, expelled. Paul tells them that, that God has determined the pre-appointed times and that God has also uh, determined the boundaries of their dwellings, the boundaries of the people's dwellings. In other words, the time of your my birth is determined by God and the time of your my death is also determined by God. Likewise, the place, the boundaries of our dwellings the place where we live, it too is determined by God. You see, again, nothing is left up to chance. God is in control of all things. Now, that does give us something to think about, doesn't it? We live in an age in which many people seem to think that they have a right to decide for themselves on those issues. The decision to have children or not the decision to terminate a pregnancy, the decision to end life by way of euthanasia or otherwise, this is a very dangerous game to play. This way, we could very easily slip into forgetting that God is to be in control of all things. Again, and I repeat it, yes, He gives life, He gives breath, and He takes away life and he takes away breath. God alone does that. Statistics tell us that there are young men and young women, especially those who are yet in their teenage years, who have contemplated ending their life. The world of today has become extremely difficult world for them to live in. I've talked with some of them. 
and how tempting it has become for some of them to just slip out of this life and step out of this world. Dear people, dear people, we need to show concern. We need to show compassion for such young people and to such young people. We need to be very much in contact with such people. We must do our very best to understand why they are so desperate to destroy themselves. We need to be much in prayer for them that the Lord would protect them from such sin. And may also lovingly and pastorally hold it before you all and especially before you, dear young people, dear young people, young men, young women, Leave it to the Lord to control your life and your breath. Leave your life, but also leave your death to Him. He gives life and breath, and He takes away life and breath. He determines the time of your existence and the boundaries of your dwelling, as Paul says here in our text. Please respect God's right in this and do not begin to play God in any of these matters. God leaves nothing, nothing to chance. He is in control, or as our catechism says it, that it is the almighty and everywhere present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, that includes you and me. God is in control. This is then part, or a great part, of the word providence. God is in control. But there's more meaning to this word providence. I would like to point that out to you in the second place, because since God leaves nothing to chance, he leads everything to himself. Let me explain. Suppose for a moment that you are in a situation that is less than pleasant. The world would call it an unfortunate situation. Perhaps you are not in an environment that is Christian, or you work in an environment that is not Christian. Perhaps, Perhaps poverty is haunting you and your loved ones. Perhaps you are stuck with an illness, or you must live an invalid life and you have no way of getting around and in a wheelchair. Whatever your situation might be, because God has left nothing up to chance, he must have a purpose for your particular situation. And what would that purpose be, you might ask? Well, let's listen to Paul again as he explains to the people of Athens who the true God of heaven and earth is, and for why and for what he must be worshipped. He gives all life, so Paul says, breath and all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. Why? Why? So that, and here is the answer to it, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Oh, there you have it. There you have it. This is the purpose why God has left nothing up to chance. 
but has placed you and me in a specific situation, whatever situation you might be in, so that you might begin to seek the Lord and grope or reach out to him and for him and find him if you have not found him yet. And again, boys and girls, young people, these words of our text remind me of a blind man that I once saw. He was trying to get out of the rain, shuffling down the sidewalk. He was feeling his way along the wall of a building. He was groping, trying to find the opening, trying to find the doorway so that he could find some shelter from the rain. Well, now, this is what the Apostle Paul means here with our text words. Verse 27. God has determined your and my particular situation so that your and my particular situation might lead us to Him, that is, to God. Whatever your situation in life might be, God's purpose for your particular situation is that you would be led through it to seek the Lord, to grope for Him, to reach out to Him, and to find Him. That's why, you see. Some examples. Suppose you have enjoyed prosperity and fruitful years. This did not come by chance. No, it came by God's control and by God's governing. And to what purpose? So that you may be led to the Lord as one thankful in prosperity, as one generous and liberal towards God and His service, as one who desires to seek greater riches in the kingdom of heaven. And you who are well-to-do, your situation should press you to seek the Lord, to grope for Him and to find Him. Prosperity can be awesome. But if you are without the Lord, such prosperity could spell disaster for you. The Lord Jesus, he once warned that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. Notice, not impossible, but hard and difficult. So if anyone should be seeking the Lord, it should be you who are wealthy. Your wealth should therefore be the motivation to need the Lord to keep you humble, to keep you from falling in love with your riches and with your wealth. No, please understand me correctly. Money is not the root of all evil, but it is the love for money that is the root of all evil. And you will need the Lord, therefore, to keep you from such misplaced love. In your state of prosperity, therefore, Seek the Lord, grope for Him, reach out to Him so that you may find Him if you haven't done so as yet. Another example, totally the opposite. Suppose your lot in life is that you are full of trouble, that there are lean years for you, sickness, poverty. Did that come by chance? No. That also came by God's control, by God's governing. To what purpose? Well, so that you will be led to the Lord 
as a needy person. God has felt it necessary to keep you poor in material things so that your poverty will then motivate you to seek the Lord and his riches. God may very well have allowed sickness to overtake you. And for some, even here, that is a living reality. No doubt, the question sometimes rises in you once in a while, why me? Why am I afflicted with this sickness? Why must I go through life with a weak heart or with cancer, with bad lungs or crippled? Why must I constantly lean on a walking stick? Why can't, why must I go around in a wheelchair? What is God's purpose for my life in all of this? And I know I know this can be a real struggle for some, and understandably so. But you know, I believe that our text has the answer also for you. God's purpose for your sickness is that it may lead you to him. With your sickness and with your troubles, the Lord means for you to be very, very busy seeking him, groping for him, finding him. Let me give Job as an example for you. He was a very sick man, wasn't he? But he sought the Lord. He groped for him. And at a certain point, you can hear Job cry out even all that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. And after much seeking, after much groping, Job did find the Lord because he tells us that he, the Lord, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And then he has this powerful confession. For I know that my Redeemer lives. You see, the purpose for sickness is that it will motivate you to seek the Lord so that you will find him. No matter what your situation in life might be, God has a purpose for your and my particular situation. It is meant to lead us to him. May I ask you, dear people, has your particular situation already led you to seek the Lord? Please examine yourselves for a moment. Has your wealth brought you closer to the Lord? Or is that, has it driven you away from the Lord? Has your poverty made you more dependent on the Lord or has it made you very bitter towards the Lord? Has your illness led you to pray for his grace or has it led you to complain in every which way why this is happening to you? Has your particular situation and lot in life already made you a seeker and a finder of the Lord. God has determined your particular situation and lot in life with this one intention to lead you and me to himself. 
And this is then another part of the meaning of that word providence. It, is, it not only means that God is in control, but that all things and that all situations are meant to lead us to him. Well then, this is the message that Paul could deliver to the people on the Areopagus in Athens. They got to hear about the unknown God. Paul therefore declared him as the God who governs all things, as the God who leads all things, and who leads all people to himself. In other words, Paul declared the God of providence to the people of Athens. And he is also the one whom I may declare to you this hour. That is, the God of providence. He's in control. Nothing happens by chance. He leads everything to himself. He is the one who we must worship. And how must you and I worship him? By believing, yes, by believing that he is the God of providence. Now with the last few Lord's days, you no doubt have been taught that you must believe in God as the triune God, as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or as the God of the Trinity. And you have also been taught, no doubt, to believe in God as God the Father, and what a wonderful Father He is. And now, now your faith must also exercise itself upon the God of providence. Have you already come to this true faith, dear people? That you can believe, yes, the God of providence. That's the one whom I confess. Or is he still the unknown God to you, like he was to most of those people there in Athens? This is possible, you see, even with church-going people, even with religious people. Well, with Paul, I declare him to you. Seek him. Grope for him. Reach out to him. He can be found. He takes pleasure, in fact, in being found. We know that from the Word of God. He is not far from any one of us, as Paul tells us, in Jesus Christ. You can find him in his Word. You can find him in the hearing of the Gospel. You can find him in your prayers. Therefore, call on God the Holy Spirit to show him to you. Because that is one of the works of the Holy Spirit. He stands in the background and he brings Jesus Christ to the foreground to show him to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show Jesus Christ to you if you haven't done so as yet. Ask the Spirit to reveal the glorious God of providence to you. And you can be sure, yes, you can be sure that he will not remain an unknown God to you in any way. Amen. Let us close in prayer. O God of providence, we have heard, and that particularly through the writing of the Apostle Paul, that you have left nothing to chance, and that you lead everything to yourself, and everyone to yourself. And may we 
understand this, that you are the one who is in control, and that you are the one who has placed us in the position and in the condition that we are in, and that we may then also see that you have a purpose for it all. Grant that each one of us, young and old, also our boys and girls, may seek you and find you, because it is good to find you at an early stage in life. We pray, therefore, for the congregation, for the young people, for the fathers and the mothers, for the grandparents, the great-grandparents. Lord God, may the elderly amongst us be good examples of what it means to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may be ready to confess their faith, that they may be able to say, come, let me tell you what the Lord has done to my soul, and that they may be able to say, that even in, in troubled times, you have never left them or forsaken them. And so we do pray also for those who are going through difficult times, that you would be near to them, that you would comfort them, that you would assure them that they will not be left alone, that you are there for them. And so remember each one. O Lord our God, we pray for our youth, our boys and girls. Lord God, bless them richly and may they listen to what your word has to say rather than what the world wants to have them believe. And we ask that you would therefore help them. Bless this congregation. Bless the pastor and his wife. Bless his family. Make all things well and grant that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this place may grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if it pleases you, also in number. And grant that in all things you would have the praise and the honor. We pray for the brothers, elders, and deacons that they may be able to give good governance to this congregation, and that in all things you would have the honor. We pray for the various societies as they will meet in various times and ways, and Lord, grant that you will crown them with your blessings. Dismiss us now in your favor. Enable us to take up our work and grant us safety and protection on our ways home. And please forgive us all our sin. In Jesus' precious name, amen.